0: for joining us. You're listening to Tank Talk with Integrity Environmental, where we speak with founder, principal consultant, and bulk fuel storage expert Shannon Oethers about regulations, safety, and useful tips for smooth sailing through the bulk fuel storage industry. Come learn the unique joys of work and life in Alaska with industry experts, including our team, vendors we work with, and companies we support. Welcome back to Tank Talk. It's lovely to have you here today, Shannon. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really great, Amanda.
0: Good. Well, today is a listener request. It came through LinkedIn from a listener, Sam, who said, may I suggest dewatering of clean water from secondary containment areas as a future topic? I love your short, concise talks about tank farms.
1: Well, thank you, Sam. And that is an excellent topic suggestion.
0: So secondary containments with design hold water and that water has to be removed regularly. Is there a standard process for this?
1: Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, all secondary containment areas have to remove water. And there are standard processes for this that are general. You're supposed to inspect the water for sheen or any other evidence of oil pollution prior to discharge. And then once that check has been accomplished, then you are supposed to dewater and there's some steps into the dewatering, but it's not standard because there are many different kinds of secondary containment area types and dewatering types. Each facility is a little different. The general procedures for starting and stopping containment drainage are the same, but the specifics can vary pretty widely depending on how your containment area is constructed. And maintained. Sometimes the way it was originally constructed no longer works, and they've got alternative drainage methods now. What happens if you see fuel or sheen? Well, you panic. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's usually one of three things when you see sheen on the water. You actually have a leak, either from your infrastructure, or sometimes you've got contractors working in your tank yard, and there'll be contractor equipment that's leaking. Sometimes it's residual fuel from a fill connection or a fuel transfer, like when you detach the cam lock or the dry break, you know, fuel drips or weeps out of it, and that's what you're seeing. Um, and then, lastly, sometimes a past spill will settle into uh, dirt or sediment that's within the secondary containment. And that residual fuel from that past leak, it'll float up to the top as you're walking through or disturbing that sediment. It can be really difficult to get that kind of stuff out of a tank farm that has a a liner with a dirt floor on top of it. For whatever reason, if you've got sheen, that means that you need to stop, investigate, determine the source, and remove the source of the sheen and the sheen itself, and then treat the water. And I'm going to save water treatment for a future podcast on stormwater permitting because Water treatment is changing rapidly as we speak. I want to I want to take the time to address that thoughtfully. So, let's let's just assume that there is no sheen for this discussion today.
0: So we've inspected the water, no sheen or fuel has been observed. What's next?
1: Discharge, my favorite. Every system's unique. So that exact discharge process is something our listeners will need to look up in their SPCC, their ODPCPC plan, or sometimes it's in the operations manual. Sometimes it's in all three. And sometimes they differ, which is super fun. But basically, if if you're listening to this, figure out what your discharge procedure is supposed to be from whatever resource you've got internally. And there's basically two types of discharge processes. There's a, There's manually where like a human being has to actually turn a pump on, open a valve, do something to initiate the discharge, or an automatic or electrically operated system. And that's one where there's a hydrocarbon sensor, it doesn't sense any hydrocarbons, and then when the SCA level gets to a certain point, it triggers a sump pump to begin drawing water down and pumping it out as an automatic discharge. I've also seen pretty frequently in rural Alaska that the original valve drainage system is damaged in some way. And so there is infrastructure there and it looks like you could drain it with a valve, um, but instead they've closed that valve and they're actually using a sump pump in the low area um, to discharge the SCA uh, over the wall of the containment area. And as a side note, there's an SPCC requirement for manually operated valves on all secondary containment drainage systems. In the olden days, (laughs) which was not that long ago, 15 years ago, uh, and prior, there used to be what they called flow through systems. And that would be like an it'd be a secondary containment area that discharged directly to an oil water separator. And that oil water separator would process the water and would flow out the other end of the oil water separator to a beach or a, or a vegetated swale or something like that. Those flow through systems don't have any brakes on them, though. There's no valves in there. And so those are no longer allowed under the SPCC requirements. You have to have at least one manually closable valve in that system.
0: Wait, so a flow-through system isn't allowed
1: anymore? Not under 40 CFR 112. It makes sense. There's got to be a way to close the system if it gets overwhelmed with fuel from a full release. And I think a lot of those older systems assumed it was going to be handling routine maintenance type spills right you know sheen that collects or maybe a few drops of fuel spilled from a transfer but if you had a full release of like your largest tank volume it would push out all the water in your oil water separator and then begin discharging fuel if there's no way to turn that system off and I just want to make sure before I get a bunch of emails from people this is different from an automated drawdown system with hydrocarbon sensors and automated close valves, all the bells and whistles. We're talking about the old school open drain through with no brakes. There's, there's no way to turn it off. Those are not allowed if you have an SPCC facility currently.
0: Okay. So we've inspected, we've started draining. What's next?
1: Uh, everybody's favorite, record keeping. <laughs> Pretty much every permit requires secondary containment drainage to be documented They all say it a little bit differently, but the basic information that should always be recorded for a containment drainage is whether the presence or absence of sheen or fuel was observed, the start and end time of a discharge, and the estimated volume of the discharge. If you have a multi-sector general permit, stormwater, SWIP, um, or individual wastewater permit, you'll have additional monitoring on top of this. Again, maybe a different podcast, but the base is still the same. Is there sheen or fuel observed, yes or no, the start and end time of the discharge, and the estimated volume?
0: I've seen some secondary containment areas that are really big with really odd shapes. How do you estimate a volume drain from that?
1: It is difficult if your containment area is irregularly shaped. It can be really complicated math, and what we suggest is to perform basic flow-through calculations instead for example, if you know your discharge pipe is three inches wide and it has an average flow-through rate of 200 gallons a minute and you had water flowing for two hours, which is 120 minutes, you can make a pretty well-informed guess that you had about a 24,000-gallon discharge for that day. Same math if you're using a sump pump, you're just going to base it on the pump's output. You know how much the pump can push in an hour. then that's usually from the manufacturer documentation. And then everybody goes, but wait, Shannon, that's going to be inaccurate because head pressure changes, right? The amount of water pushing down is going to slowly get lower and your pressure is going to be lower. So you're going to have differing rates of discharge. And that is true. But what we're, what we're looking at is an informed estimate or average. We're not, we're not necessarily going for very, very specific. And I'll get to why in a minute. The important part is however you decide to do it, do it consistently. Do it the same way every time, no matter who's draining the containment down. And some people do install flow meters on their outfalls just to account for that inaccuracy. So if you want to be very detailed, go the flow meter route. You'll know exactly what goes through the end of that pipe. However, maintaining those flow meters can be pretty tricky in freeze-up conditions. Um, They're very often damaged by spring and fall freeze thaw cycles.
0: Why do permits require volume estimates?
1: That's a great question. A lot of older record keeping doesn't include volume estimation. It was just a basic check for Sheen, and then a discharge event was tracked. But that volume estimation becomes really important. It can be used two ways. One is it alerts you to problems. Like if you normally have 24,000 gallons a day or more coming out of a section of your tank farm, and all of a sudden the weather hasn't changed, but it's dropped to five or 6,000 gallons in a day, um, it could be a drought right? Like let's say it just stopped raining, which makes sense, but it could also be a hole in your liner a few inches from the bottom and it's only retaining so many inches of stuff. Um, So usually if you're getting pretty consistent flow through numbers or flow through times and the weather hasn't changed, it can kind of be an early warning system for something being wrong with your containment system. The other reason, which is why we typically are bringing it to the table, is that we're doing compliance verification. So during the compliance process. So a state or federal regulator will come to your facility and they'll determine that they th- there are some things that they think are not compliant going on. Regulators use estimated volumes to verify you are monitoring the discharge. But if they find a problem like a leaking tank that impacted containment water, and, and it's been leaking for an unknown time because it wasn't being documented on a daily, the state will often base their fines on the maximum discharge potential per day. If there's no actual numbers. So let's say you're averaging 24,000 gallons a day of discharge, but your tank farm could actually hold 100,000 gallons of water based on its structural design. If we don't have actual numbers, the state or the federal government will start with the maximum, assuming that it's full of water. And so that can um, really uh, ramp up fines. Trust me on this one, you really want actual numbers to refer back to instead of your maximum potential as far as containment volumes.
0: Thanks for walking us through the whole secondary containment draining process. I'm sure you have a great list of common problems you've encountered in the field you could share with our
1: listeners. Yeah, we 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 definitely see some pretty consistent common issues. Uh, the good news is most of these are easily fixable. A few require more work. The biggest one is that we see poor or no record keeping. We often see no volume estimates, no start or end times. Those are the biggest missing pieces pretty much everybody's figured out a way to record a yes or no answer for is sheen observed. But when it comes to when the discharge started and stopped and how big it was, those are pretty frequently missing. Um, we also see people not performing containment drainage enough and you'll see like massive buildups that freeze. I've seen a lot of containment areas where I show up and they've got two thirds of their containment full of ice. Um, And it's really hard to drain that down and keep ahead of that, uh, especially during freeze-up time, which is why they ended up with so much water. So performing drainage frequently enough, uh, that same scenario that I just mentioned about having a massive secondary containment area and having it be really full of ice, that's also related to having a drainage system that is not engineered for the volume of water that you are collecting. So that one inch sump pump you've got trying to augment your three inch drain, it can't keep up with the volume of water that this tank farm is encountering, even if they all run 24 hours a day. And so typically when we see big buildups like that, one of the suggestions we work on is like, do you need an engineered solution to make it easier for your guys to drain this within normal operational hours? Um, let's see what else. Let me think, uh, not removing vegetation or trash, trash blocking drainage lines is really common. Pro tip spray paint can lids are perfect for blocking three and four inch drainage lines. <laughs> I've pulled quite a few out. <laughs> uh, let's see. I also see people only draining one location of the containment area where the sump is and kind of ignoring other low spots all tank farms settle over the life of them. And those secondary containment areas can end up with low spots that are not in the same, you know, that were not where they intended them to be originally. Um, And they end up only draining from the, the one low spot that is the, you know, where the drain is supposed to be. But then there's all these other little scattered locations that, that just hold water all the time and don't ever get drained out. Um, I also see people leaving impacted sands or soils in the containment after a spill. So every time you walk through, it stirs up a sheen. Um, If you have a spill situation, it's really critical to remove as much of those soils as you can to prevent that. Um, And then this, this last one is the, I see it all the time. I understand why it occurs, but it is definitely a violation, which is leaving the containment drain open all the times. Mm. (laughs) Sorry, leave, leaving the containment drain open at all times. This, folks, this is your last and best defense system, and that is disabling it. And so if you leave it open all the time because dealing with the water that is collecting is, is a big pain in the butt, if you have a failure of a tank or a pipeline, it's just going to drain right out, and and you've just disabled that backup system that you have in place. So don't disable it, please. <laughs>
0: So secondary containment area drainage is pretty important for SPCC compliance, correct?
1: It is. It is, but it's not just the SPCC. Stormwater and wastewater permits heavily involve containment drainage monitoring. And both the Facility Response Plan and ODPCP, the state of Alaska required C plan, they all have containment drainage requirements as well for monitoring, record-keeping, maintenance and operation. Dear listener... Make sure you know the inspection and drainage process at your facility. Make sure your record keeping is adequate. Make sure your secondary containment area is free of sheen, trees, and trash. And make sure your drainage systems are maintained and easily operated. All of those things are supporting this immense backup system that you do not want to be disabled when the worst or unthinkable can happen.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for diving into secondary containment area drainage with us today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, Sam, for the excellent suggestion. And if anybody else has a suggestion for a podcast episode, I am happy to receive it. We've gotten some really good ones lately, and uh, I'm excited to start recording those. So please give us your suggestions. We appreciate them. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Tank Talk with Integrity Environmental. For additional information, please visit our website, www.integrity-env.com. Interested in becoming a guest on Tank Talk or have a topic you'd like to learn more about? Send an email to marketing at integrity-env.com. Until next time.